On this episode of Nuketown Radioactive, I emerge from my winter hibernation to talk about video games and role-playing games that I'm playing, or plan on playing. I also talk about my ongoing Ready Player One replay, and my plans to attend Gen Con in August Newtown Radioactive. I am your host, Ken Newquist. It has been a long, dark winter and uh, lots of stuff going on, some of which I'll talk about in a future podcast. But suffice it to say, things were busy, things were dark, and I'm glad that we're finally heading into, well, I was going to say spring, but actually summer because it is currently May as I'm recording this. So first big news is I'm heading back to Gen Con in 2023. Uh, That's right. In August, I'll be heading out with my co-host from Lair of Secrets, uh, David Moore to check out Gen Con in Indianapolis. I haven't been there since 2014. I have no idea what I'm going to play, which is kind of a problem because event registration opened up today. But I'm thinking some Dungeons and Dragons, uh, some, you know, indie games, like the standard mix. Uh, The interesting thing is my son's going to be joining me for the first day. So I got to find some games that both he and I want to play. But overall, I I think I'm going to spend a lot of time just trying out new stuff checking out the exhibition halls, maybe maybe doing some interviews. So if anybody wants to talk to David or I about their games, uh, please let me know. You can email me at nuketown at gmail.com. So that, it's going to be fun. I can't, I can't wait. It's been so long since I've been to Gen Con. There's been a pandemic since the last time I was there. You know, I just, I can't wait to see what it's like. It's going to be, it's going to be fun to go to a huge game convention again. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Now, in other gaming news, and actually this podcast is all gaming all the time, so <laughs> there's not going to be a lot of uh, different segues here as I move on to different topics, but the first gaming thing I wanted to talk about was the Ready Player One replay, which is something I've been doing for a number of years at this point. I think I started it back when I broke my ankle, and uh, and it's been continuing on slowly ever ever since. I'm now on to, to level two of the replay. And it's included games such as Space Invaders, Star Raiders, The Empire Strikes Back, Yara's Revenge. And and basically the idea here is I'm playing through every video game that was mentioned in the novel uh, Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. It's uh, It's been fun. There's a lot of nostalgia, uh, obviously, with playing these games. Some of these games, like Star Raiders, I never actually played as a kid. Other games I remember picking up and bouncing off of, like Empire Strikes Back, which is sort of this fatalistic game that you can't possibly win. It's just a question of you know, how long until the Empire crushes you. And then there's, you know, Yara's Revenge, which I suppose at the end of the day, you can't really win either, but you can certainly blow up the enemy quite a lot. And for some reason, my friends and I just loved playing that for hours and hours on end. I've actually just gotten into an interesting spot in uh, in the book because there's a bunch of text adventure games coming up. The first of which was Raka 2, in which you're exploring an ancient temple trying to find uh, lost artifacts. Next up is Bedlam, which is uh, you're trying to escape from some sort of an asylum. Uh, There's Pyramid, which is apparently a uh, reimagining, we'll say, of the the classic Colossal Cave. And then finally, there is Madness and the Minotaur. These are all interactive text adventures. Uh, I loved these kinds of things when I was a kid, especially like the Infocom games such as Zork and Hedgehog's Guide to the Galaxy and the aforementioned Colossal Cave, which is also coming up. It's it's part of the list, just not in the, the immediate 
three or four games that I'll be playing. It's been fun to go back and play these, right? Because they're hard. Back in the day, you know, we didn't have cheat sheets. We couldn't just go out onto the internet and find the answers to things. So you kind of had to bang your head against the wall. I will freely admit I am occasionally going out onto the internet to try and figure out how to get past a thing because this is supposed to be fun and uh, I'm not 12 anymore. I don't have infinite amounts of time to bang my head against the wall trying to figure something out, like how to get a babblefish into my ear. But they are fun, and I do find myself kind of just sitting down with a notebook, just like I used to do in the olden days, and sketching out the dungeons or or the map of the place that I'm exploring. It it's pretty cool, and uh, it's it's been fun to kind of go back to my geeky roots in that sort of way. So on another gaming note, uh, I've been playing lots of video games, or I have acquired a lot of video games that I would like to play. <laughs> Both both of those things happen to be true. So the first was Wonderlands, which is available for PS4 and PS5. This is um, Borderlands, uh, the first-person shooter, but with a Dungeons & Dragons skin. Oh, sorry. Uh, actually, Bunkers and Badasses. That's the in-game role-playing game that is Oza. Is, is an homage to Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, Tiny Tina is the game master, and you're one of her players. But will she ever let you leave the table? It's a, it's a fun game with, uh, with you know, it's got some interesting sort of emotional hooks to it that kind of keep you going along as you try and figure out like what's actually, actually bothering Tina. It was a happy distraction. You know, it, it's just like, it's just like Borderlands, just with fantasy trapping. So you're spawning all kinds of random guns and collecting all kinds of different artifacts and stuff to power up your character. It, you know, it's not really deep thinking. It's really just blasting your way through an adventure. But that's okay. Sometimes sometimes that's exactly what I need. Something that does actually require more deep thinking is Cyberpunk 2077, which is available on PS5. This is one of those games that came out a couple of years ago. It, it actually had a really rocky launch because it was simply unplayable on consoles. Um, and it was it had a lot of glitches on PCs. And they've, they bounced back. Um, I think it's CD Projekt Red. They, they did what they needed to do to fix the game. And it plays exceedingly well on the PS5. So I had started playing this on Steam via NVIDIA's streaming desktop service, uh, GeForce Now, but it turns out I'm pretty bad at first-person shooters on a desktop computer. So I, I gave up doing that. When it came out on PS5, I, I picked it up. I think it was on sale. And I, and I got to say, I still struggled to get into it because it's a huge open-world cityscape, kind of like Grand Theft Auto. And it, it required a significant time investment to really get sort of emotionally and mentally engaged in the game but once you do it was it was good i really enjoyed the nomad storyline which i think i'm i'm almost done with and it gives you a lot of opportunities to make small and large differences in the world and and the other thing i liked is that it's got johnny silverhand which is kanana reeves um in his kind of like most badass mode but it, the game does not shy away from the fact that Johnny Silverhand is not a great guy. Like he uh, he was, you know, sold as sort of this anti-hero in the earlier editions of the game. And I think Cyberpunk 2077 is digging it, that into that more and really kind of getting to, well, why did Johnny do what he did? Was he actually a hero? Was he just out for himself? Uh, it's, it's that kind of stuff. It's kind of, <laughs> it's, it's some heavy plot lines, right? I mean, also you're just getting cool tech. You're, you're getting all kinds of cyber gear. You're dealing with, uh, criminals and taking on a myriad missions for people in the city, but it's a, it's a fun game. I think it just, it took me like a solid weekend of doing nothing but playing that game to really, really get into it. And, uh, but I'm, I'm really glad I did. Another game that I bought but have not truly gotten into yet is Fire Emblem Engage for the Switch. I think I got it just because I wanted another Fire Emblem game. <laughs> the Fire Emblem games are these 
Japanese RPGs that are, uh, well, it's it's got RPG-ish elements, but it's really sort of a tactical squad combat thing where you're using a variety of different characters from different classes with different abilities, and, and you're you're battling for supremacy over different battlefields. That's a lot of the word battle. But in any case, <laughs> it's a fun game. I got into the series a couple of years ago on the 3DS, and I haven't been playing it a lot. I put it on the back burner after just kind of firing it up and doing a few of the missions, mostly because Fire Emblem is one of those games that I really have to be in the mood to play. I am sure the mood will come over me in a couple of months, and then I will do nothing but play Fire Emblem, and we'll probably lose a tremendous amount of sleep. But for now, it is on the back burner. So another game I got for my Switch was the Pinball FX, the Pinball FX, Pinball FX. <laughs> um, I love pinball. I don't get enough uh, enough opportunities to play it in the real world. And this provided me with uh, with an outlet for that. So the one of the reasons why I got it, well, there were two reasons why I got it. First of all, it had uh, the Indiana Jones pinball game, which is fantastic. I am terrible at it. <laughs> I loved it when I was in college, and this is a faithful recreation of that uh, like mid early 1990s Indiana Jones pinball. Um, it's so faithful that I'm I just I lose in all the same ways that I lost when I was in college. But damn, you know the the it's just so much fun to play and so much fun to get back into. Uh, it it. It's a, it's just a great pinball game. Um, there's also Creature from the Black Lagoon, which was another pinball game that I played a heck of when I, heck out of when I was in college. And so between the two of them, it's just like I'm I'm back in the pub, <laughs> pub. It was our student union building at Lockhaven. Uh, just just playing these games between uh, between stints at the college newspaper. You know, I'd, I'd get done writing something or editing something, and I'd pop over to the game room in the pub and play a round or two of pinball and then go back to editing and it's uh it's been fun to recreate that virtually in my house uh, the last thing that was a surprise and actually pretty good is uh aliens pinball uh this is a, a original pinball game by pinball fx that uh is faithful to the aliens movie it has all of the it has sound clips from the actual movie which is which is pretty cool some of the other games that they had like uh, Back to the Future did not actually use sound clips from the movie, which was disappointing. But this has all of the uh, all the classic ones, and so when you've got Hudson saying "Game over, man, game over," when your when your ball <laughs> goes down the chute and you lose it, is uh, very very much on point and uh, and a lot of fun. A game which I I wish I could say was a lot of fun. Well, let's put it this way: it was fun the first time I played it, and I was super excited to play it again. But it turns out that you have to be careful what you wish for. So Goldeneye the um, truly classic first-person shooter for Switch, well, first-person shooter for uh, Nintendo 64, is out for the Switch. And the challenge is, is that it's not been updated for the modern version of the Switch. It's running in an N64 emulator, and it maps the N64 controls to the Switch controls, and it's breaking my brain a little bit because it does not work the way that I think a first-person shooter on a Switch should work or the way that my brain has been trained to play first-person shooters since GoldenEye came out. So I was hoping to find an N64 controller for the Switch. They do actually make them, but unfortunately, they've been sold out. Um, there are ways to kind of tweak the settings within the Switch to make it closer to a modern first-person shooter. I've done some of that, but I haven't done the, the last bit that flip some of the, the standard controls. 
I'm going to try that so I can get into it because damn it, I loved GoldenEye when I was <laughs> in my 90 in the 90s right after graduating from college and got an N64 and my friends and I played N64 and GoldenEye um multiplayer for I don't even know how many hours. So I really want to get back into the game, but the controllers are just breaking my brain. Finally, I've got Breath of the Wild on the Switch. I I got it several years ago uh, when my kids got it. I never I never actually got off the introductory plateau. But my kids just got uh, Tears of the Kingdom, so I figured I would pick it up again. This is the game that I am playing when my kids or my wife has taken over the downstairs television where the, the PS5 is currently hooked up. So, you know, if I just want to have something on the go, I'm going and playing with Breath of the Wild. It, it is fun. It's a beautiful game. Uh, it's another one of those things, kind of like Cyberpunk 2077, that I just needed to give myself the time to get into the game so that my brain would want to play it more. Um, I bounced off of it the first time, I think, because I had been playing a lot of open world stuff. And <laughs> funnily enough, like I'm back in that mode, right? Like I'm playing Cyberpunk 2077 and that's just a huge open world. But I think this is a little different because with uh, with Breath of the Wild, you know, it's this huge expansive terrain, whereas uh, Cyberpunk is much more narrowly focused on a particular city. It hasn't been all video games. I've also been playing a fair amount of role-playing games, or at least trying to play a fair amount of role-playing games. Um, first up, I picked up Iron Sworn Starforged. Um, my Lara of Secrets friends got into this game and pulled me in along with them. Um, it's a power to pop by the apocalypse science fiction themed game with a ton of moves, much more so than a traditional power by the apocalypse game. And it's set in a future where you decide why your civilization fled its home galaxy to establish a new home in a, a small star cluster called The Forge. Um, it's playable in solo, co-op, or guided mode. And I got it for a couple of reasons. One, my friends couldn't stop talking about it. it it's like the, the sci-fi successor to the original Ironsworn, which was a fantasy-themed game. Um, Ironsworn got really popular, I think, just maybe at the beginning of the pandemic, maybe just before the pandemic. I, I don't quite remember, but... You know, I had heard a lot of people talking about it because it does have these different modes where you can play it in solo or you can play it in co-op or you can play it in guided mode, which is meant to be, you know, the, your traditional dungeon master. And so I was intrigued. And then my friends really got into it and were talking it up a ton. I'm like, you know what? I think I got to pick up this game. Um, so I got it for a couple of reasons. One is I am intrigued about the solo and co-op approach to a role-playing game. Uh, I've been playing a few standalone uh, solo RPGs, like mostly zine-based stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm curious what a full-fledged solo role-playing game would look like. And so far, it looks it looks pretty interesting. You know, it, it gives you these things called oracles, which are meant to serve as prompts, kind of creative prompts for inspiring where the the story might go and it's not so much that it tells you explicitly where it might go but like you roll on the tables and it gives you an idea as to what where, where you might want to take the story yourself and i think from a co-op perspective it could be really interesting i think i could see playing this game online maybe be a chat where you're you're just collaboratively exploring the galaxy I'm curious if there's a way to mash up solo and co-op so that you could you could have the solos split off and you could do your own thing and then come back to the main team every once in a while. Uh, I don't know that the game necessarily lends itself to that, but I think you could probably hack it very, fairly easily to get to that point. Um, I also was really interested in the oracles and this idea of using random tables to determine story aspects. I mean, obviously, random tables have been around since the beginning of role-playing games, but the way that Starforged approaches it as a way of like helping to inform decisions or helping to 
inspire where the game goes next was just uh it's interesting especially since i, I was struggling some with uh, a bit of well i was calling it writer's funk not necessarily writer's block but like just trying to figure out how to move my games forward and so i thought you know what having a couple of uh, random tables might help with that Speaking of one of the games that I'm going to be playing, uh, we've got Cyberpunk Red, which is uh, what we're gearing up for as our next role-playing game at Lair of Secrets. Um, you can check us out at LairofSecrets.com. Hopefully the next podcast episode or the actual play episode of Cyberpunk Red will be out sometime in in June. I don't know. We haven't, we've been struggling to get things going. Um, it's an old school crunchy game. And uh, it, but it's run really well in our play tests. Everybody's enjoyed it a ton. And for me, it's just been taking me a little while to get off the ground because of some myriad family commitments. Um, and also just kind of as a game master, getting my head around cyberpunk, the rules mechanics and and how cyberpunk should be played, like the idea of story beats and trying to set things up in such a way that it's not just your standard you know, hack and slash or, or shoot em up game. Like you want to be able to have some plot twists. You want people to feel like they're connected to the larger cyberpunk world. Um, it's, it's been fun, but it has made me exercise my, uh, my creativity in ways that I haven't in a number of years. Uh, it also inspired me to go back and read William Gibson's The Sprawl Trilogy, which was kicked off by Neuromancer. That was, uh, that was a heck of a lot of fun. And if you want to talk cyberpunk, um, you can stop by Lair of Secrets. We have uh, the Neon Library where we've been going through and reading some of the uh, the foundational works of the cyberpunk movement, as it were. Uh, another cool cyberpunk resource that I came across was Cyborg. Um, this is the cybernet, cyber, <laughs> cyberpunk take on Morkborg. Morkborg itself was sort of this... Um, old school renaissance style game, very simplistic game mechanics, but it was mostly known for its just sort of over the top art style. It's got pages that scream at you. I, I, I don't know how functional a role playing game it actually is because I haven't played it, but it is beautiful to look at. And I love what they did with the layouts because the layouts are just kind of all over the place. They, they do really interesting things with color, like really bright yellows and pinks and, and, and stark blacks. And so it's almost as much fun to read as it would be to play it. It may actually be more fun to read than to play. So Cyborg takes that same concept and moves it into the future. It's just as much over the top with its artwork as its predecessor. Um, and it has a lot of cool, edgy tables that like, you know, talk about various drugs that you might find in the cybernetic future. You know, it's got different NPC generators, that kind of thing. And so I don't know that I'm going to run Cyborg any, any more than I'm going to run Morkborg, but it is providing a lot of inspiration from my Cyberpunk Red campaign. And I think it's probably great to pick up just for that reason alone. The last campaign that I've got going, and it's funny, I <laughs> I haven't actually kicked off a new role-playing game in years, and I haven't done like a full-length role-playing campaign, like one where you would play for three to four hours uh, per session since before the pandemic, because I've just been running my lunchtime game for an hour at a time, right? And so it's been challenging to switch gears back to playing uh, a weekly game where you actually have to come up with three to four hours worth of content at a go. So my new campaign is Elemental Apocalypse. There is a, there's a post about this up on Nuketown. Uh, the premise of this is the Temple of Elemental Evil rose and Greyhawk fell. 
So in the classic Dungeons and Dragons storylines, there's this thing called the Temple of Elemental Evil. Um, there's an elemental horde that uh, there's this massive battle in like, uh, I don't know, 570s in, uh, in Greyhawk. And in the traditional storyline, good triumphs, evil falls, the elemental, uh, the Temple of Elemental Evil is destroyed. And, uh, you know, things go in slumber until, you know, 30 years later when the temple rises again. Um, in my own gaming group, we had played the return to the temple, temple of elemental evil as our red shirts campaign. Um, <laughs> that was a fun campaign because we had had our long running characters uh, in the Black Razor Guild. Uh, they were all high level characters. And we decided, you know what, we want to start over again with zero level characters or first level characters. And we want them to be the red shirts. They want, we want them to be the expendable guild members who are sent out to deal with the crap missions, just like your red shirts on Star Trek. And so uh, the, the red shirts went out and they encountered the uh, the resurgent temple of elemental evil and they were able to ultimately defeat the, uh, the rising temple. But the question for this campaign is, what if none of that happened? What if the temple of elemental evil rose and basically brought about a series of elemental apocalypses? And so with that premise, we are taking the assumption that the temple rose 20 years ago. Our players are now, uh, let's see, it's about 20 years later, and our players are like the next generation of heroes. They've been living underground in the city of hope. There's a handful of free cities that remain that have not been crushed by the elemental princes, and, and things are teetering near the end of the final apocalypse, but our heroes have a chance to strike back. And, and the goal here is not to have something grim and dark, although there'll be some aspects of that. I really want the characters to be over the top. <laughs> so for this, I've got uh, everybody is starting at third level. Everybody begins with, uh, I think, two additional feats. Everybody is using like the heroic tier for their attribute points. Um, everybody's starting with a couple of magic items. We have, uh, instead of having the inspiration die, I've replaced it with three liberation die, which can be used to like, like inspiration die to reroll anything, damage, attacks, skill checks, what have you. Um, but also it can uh, cause a critical hit. So you do max damage on a hit and then also allows you to edit the story somewhat, you know, to say, oh, well, you know, um, it turns out that we've got uh, some uh, some allies in this particular town or, hey, you know, those those that big pile of rocks, it looks like they're they're prone for an avalanche. Um, so we'll see. We've we've run two sessions so far and it's gone pretty well. It's got what it's got for the tone. It's achieved the tone that I was looking for, which was the characters are just over the top heroes. You know, if you think of Legolas in the Lord of the Rings movies, right? Where he's just running upstairs as they're collapsing. Yes, that is physically impossible. I don't care. I want people to do that cool type thing. Or like if you think about the Underworld movies from a number of years ago, where you have Selene like jumping off the side of a building and, and blasting away at werewolves and vampires and what have you as she falls down the side of the building. She doesn't, she doesn't stop to think, am I going to survive this, right? It's she jumps off the building confident that she is going to figure out some way to save herself before she hits the bottom. And that's the tone that I want for this particular campaign. It's it's fun and it's it's a challenge to for me and I think for the players to stay in that like high octane mode, right? It's the Fast and the Furious style where like you guys are awesome. Use your liberation dice to reinforce how awesome you are and if you do awesome things i will give you more dice so i'm curious to see how it goes it's 
It's been fun so far, but I will say just like Cyberpunk Red, it's been a challenge to get back into game mastering and coming up with the content. And I had this this really bad um, writer's funk for a while. I was just trying to figure out what to do next with this campaign. Like I know at a high level what I want to do with it, but like the individual episodes were kind of escaping me. And uh, I actually posted a bunch of stuff over on Dice Camp under the Lair of Secrets account related to this. And just thinking about how do you break out of a writer's funk. And actually, that might be an upcoming episode for either Lair of Secrets or for Nuketown. We'll see. But in any case, what did it for me was I went for a backpacking trip in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. And walking past these the fire-scorched pine trees from a forest fire from a couple of years ago and seeing the new growth and seeing sort of like the, the chaotic will of, of wildlife and plant life to just kind of come roaring back after the fire provided me with a lot of inspiration for the campaign. So, you know, we'll see if, if you're stumped and you don't know what to do with a creative project you're working on, maybe, uh, maybe talk a walk, take a walk in the woods. You will, uh, you never know what you might find. So that's about it for this podcast. I covered a lot of stuff. You can stop by and tell me what you think by going to nuketown.com. You can email me at nuketown at gmail.com. If you're going to be at Gen Con, let me know. I'd be happy to uh, to meet up with you. You can follow me on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash nuketownsf. I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash nuketownsf. I'm also on Dice Camp um, at, uh, let's see, dice.camp slash at nuke havoc i think um there'll be links to it in the show notes so don't think you have to remember it now but hey you know what i love hearing from you folks uh connect with me one way or the other and who knows maybe i'll see you at gen con